I'd experienced um, a bit of trauma as a child growing up. It was something that I'd, I'd literally kind of buried in my um, subconscious. Uh, a lot of the times during certain situations, I'd be very kind of unemotional and not really kind of empathise with people. And I, I very rarely cried as well. That all changed when I had my first child. It was like being hit by a Mack truck full of emotions. Like someone had jacked my central nervous system into sort of emotional high voltage cable. Just a pure flood of emotions kind of hit me when she was born. And I think I cried for about three days straight, which was bonkers, really. I buried it literally so far down in my subconscious that it was just, it was a... Um, you know, and then like anything else, the more you sort of cage and try and lock this stuff up, the more it sort of scratches and tries to, to get out. So when it when it did get out, it was like, whoa. Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to season two of Blue Mum Days a podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. All the stories shared here are from the heart. These are real conversations and may be triggering, so please listen with discretion. We will also signpost you to help in the show notes. Thank you. This episode was recorded during the spring of 2022. Today's guest is Nick Rayburn, aka That Social Nerd. Some might call Nick a video guru, others know that his skills lie in bringing the story out in the most shy of souls. Blasting into the social atmosphere in late 2019 with his honest and raw content, Nick has transformed the way social is perceived by many corporate minds. He delivers video and high-end social strategy training to large companies looking to dominate their industry on social media. Nick came to my attention in a very brave and raw post on LinkedIn where he talked about the huge flood of emotion he experienced in becoming a dad. Prior to having children, Nick had never cried. He's here today to share his story with us and talk to us about this transformative and very personal experience. Before we start this episode, I'd just like to issue a trigger warning. We talk about child abuse from the very beginning, so please, if this is something that is going to be upsetting to you, please listen with care. Thank you. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Vicky. So can you, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you were like before you had children? Uh, yeah, um, I guess I've always been a relatively kind of upbeat and, and uh, happy individual. But uh, yeah, before kids, um, I was quite kind of insular a lot of the time and I would often kind of um, be very hard on myself, kind of beat myself up a lot for certain things uh, and I don't know where that that came from I'd experienced um, a bit of trauma as a child kind of growing up I was sexually abused for, for a number of years by a close uh, family relative and um, oh goodness. it was something that I'd I'd literally kind of buried in my um, subconscious uh, a lot of the times during certain situations I'd be very kind of unemotional and not really kind of empathize with people um, too much and, and I, I very rarely cried as well um, but I'm going to start crying in a minute that's <laughs> and, okay uh, I'm a blubber uh, <laughs> yeah and uh yeah that that all changed um when I had uh, when I had my first child the way I can kind of best describe it was kind of like being it was like being hit by a Mack truck full of emotions it was like someone had jacked my central nervous system into um you know a sort of um emotional high voltage cable it's the best way I can describe it it's just like a pure flood of emotions kind of hit me when she was born I think when she was born I think I cried for about three days straight which was yeah bonkers really <laughs> I mean they, they do say that there is actually a, a hormonal change in dads which is something I hadn't realized that actually your testosterone levels can drop and your estrogen increases but it also sound like it was the kind of thing that um perhaps got through that barrier that you'd imposed on yourself as a, a sort of coping mechanism yeah 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 absolutely I've had therapy since and I've had um, what's called the MDR therapy which is I, I think and this is kind of best described in layman's terms because I'm not an expert but but I think um when you go through trauma the memory kind of gets stuck and you kind of relive that 
trauma a lot of the time through any kind of high stress situations. And I think in people that have gone through trauma, you experience uh, emotion much more strongly than most people. Your, your bandwidth or capacity to experience emotion is, is much narrower than most people. So obviously when she was born, it was like being plugged into a high voltage cable full of emotion. It was just nuts. I, I think it's kind of why I've always kind of been fascinated with stories. As a kid, I used to sort of disappear and or escape into stories and just, just to kind of uh, escape from reality really a lot of the time. So. Did you get any support at the time when you were growing up? No, because it was, it was um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of shame attached to that, especially as a, a male as well. So I didn't speak to anyone about it. Um, and only just before I think my daughter was born, I sort of brought up with my wife and and spoke to her about it and it's kind of been a very gradual process with sort of coming to terms with it. so one of those things suddenly you know a light switch uh, flicks on I think it's, it's having a certain amount of insight to to recognize it as well one of the things that's definitely helped me as well and this sounds really weird but um, being on social and being on LinkedIn doing the job I do it's almost quite cathartic it's almost like a digital form of journaling so you're, you're kind of, you're putting a lot of yourself out there and you, and you come to terms with a lot of things because you're expressing how you feel in that particular moment. And a lot of us don't do that on a day-to-day basis. We don't stop and check ourselves and go, I feel like this. And why do I feel like this? What's affected me? And, and you know, just just stopping, slowing down and breathing for five minutes and just just checking why you feel the way you feel is yeah, game-changing. So I guess it's a bit like sort of previously people would blog about how they were feeling and certainly people yeah. like um, Rosie of P&D and me and other people like that, they started off blogging just as a way of getting their thoughts down on paper, Elliot yeah. Ray of Music Football Fatherhood. And so you're actually taking this one stage further. Have you actually seen a sea change in terms of how more human and authentic people are being since the pandemic uh definitely yeah there's been a massive shift in some ways i think it's one of the best things to ever affect um, us as a, as a species but for people to slow down enough to stop and ask themselves who they are you know some people spend their entire lives going through their lives not knowing who they are at their core and that is um it's sad really i think covid's allowed us to slow down stop enough and for people to go why am I doing this job? Is this really me? And that's not to say, you know, um, you sort of find out who you are and that, that's it. The best way I can describe it, I had um, a mentor I was working with when I was kind of going through this initially. And I said to him, it feels like I've literally just climbed Everest. I've got to the peak and there's another bigger mountain <laughs> the horizon that I've got now going climb. It's not a, um, you know, a kind of quick fix thing. I firmly believe that anything in life that is good for you is hard work it it should be it's designed to be hard work so before you had your children were you aware that you were putting up barriers or that you were sort of closed emotionally um not really I guess I I think I'd I'd buried it so I mean it, it happened when I was really young um around kind of four four or five and I think maybe from a neurological perspective, I think, is it between one and seven? I think is where most of your formation for how you interpret the world is, is um, formed from that early age. So when that kind of stuff's imprinted on you from that age, it really does affect you from a, a neurological standpoint. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't remember. It was definitely after she was born that I was like, where is the, like, where has this come from suddenly? yeah yeah Um, I'd I'd buried it literally so far down in my subconscious that it was just it was a um, you know and then like anything else the more you sort of cage and try and lock this stuff up the more it sort of scratches and tries to to get out so when it when it did get out it was like whoa yeah yeah although they always sort of say about suppressed emotions that's going to come out sooner or later Mm. and uh you know you won't have any control (laughs) over it yeah yeah so how how did you approach the thought of fatherhood and the pregnancy how was that for you yeah it was fascinating it was um, probably one of the most amazing things I remember actually the doctors my my first because I've got a younger son and an older daughter and I remember when my daughter was born I distinctly remember the um the doctor shouting at me because her birth was that they were so different in terms of um the process so 
And I think maybe, I don't know, from a physiological standpoint, I guess, my wife's body was more prepared for it second time around. She'd been through it, her body had understood the trauma more. So maybe it is easier the second time around, but her first birth was, was very traumatic. She was breech, I think. I think she had the cord wrapped around the neck as well. And I think my wife's blood pressure was really, really high at the time as well. But I remember, I distinctly remember the doctor shouting at me because I was like, you know, it's the birth of my first child. And I'm there like snapping away a hundred pictures and the doctor's like, can you just like get out of the way? Because <laughs> I'm trying to work. <laughs> Yeah, enough of the reportage. Uh, yeah. Um, but just um, my wife is absolutely, she is incredible. She is a superwoman. She's she's just um, an amazing lady. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the the difference in their births between, and they're so massively different in their personality as well between her and um, and him. Um, he, um, I think labour-wise, she was, um, yeah, she wasn't in labour for that long. Um, I think when her contraction started, we went to the hospital, I think it was about four hours later, I think, he was he was born. So. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, really, really, really quick, really quick birth. So um, the difference was was, uh, was extraordinary. So with the trauma of the first birth, which unfortunately seems to be quite common, I have interviewed Dr. Rebecca Moore of Make Birth Better, and I would advise anybody affected by birth trauma to take a listen to that episode. But did you and your wife have any support afterwards in terms of that trauma? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, all my wife's family on uh, her side are pretty much all other psychiatrists or mental health experts. Oh, really? A ton ton of support. That's handy. Which is, is, yeah, it's it's, it's quite handy. but yeah, I mean, she, she coped with it um, admirably well as well. And I sometimes wonder, like I said, um, I don't know if it's it's because her body was was more ready for it the second time around, but we we distinctly made a decision, like the second time around, she wanted to have a completely natural birth. Like the first birth, she had an epidural, um, and, and the second one, she didn't. And, and uh, I think the birthing unit where we're based now um there's the main one is in, in Hastings, which is down the road. The one at Eastbourne is um, they don't have any actual doctors there. It's just it's just midwives. Um, but we we made a um, conscious decision to to um, do it that way, and it was just a, a much smoother birth. I'm not I'm not advocating a you know either or, but um, the the more natural procedures seem to it just seemed to work better than than any kind of medical intervention. It may be a complete coincidence, but <laughs> yeah, whatever works for you and for any yeah, yeah. listeners out there, there is no right and wrong in giving birth no, no, no. at all. Um, and so, can you describe to us what it was like when you met your daughter for the first time? Oh, he's going. <laughs> yeah, <I can> see. <laughs> Just, yeah, incredible, absolutely incredible. She is. Yeah, they're, they're my world. Those two kids, absolutely. Yeah, it's well. You can see words. Words can't express how um how I feel about those two two kids. And uh, it's um it's uh I think I explained this to you before. Um, it um it makes you more hyper aware as a parent I think I'm you know in a way I'm almost um, and this sounds really weird but I'm almost kind of grateful for the the um the trauma because because it's made me more uh hyper aware as a, as a parent how they feel emotionally what they're kind of going through like um my daughter um I did it with her last night she's got like a um uh, a little gratitude book that oh, she fills wow. out um, amazing just a um get her thoughts out there about how she feels and how she's felt kind of during the day and, and um, just to make her more cognizant of her. We put so much focus on IQ and EQ is so much more important just to understand how she feels and, and how she feels in herself is, is to me, you know, I just, I just want, like, yeah, like most parents, I think I just want them both to be happy. Um, so. and, and sort of resilient individuals. And that's the yeah. thing there is, there is a mental health crisis amongst children around the world. In the UK, it was there even before the pandemic. And obviously, since the pandemic, it's exacerbated further. Yeah, and yeah. actually, the best thing we can do as parents is to open that conversation about how you're feeling. And I haven't yeah. met one person who says, 
that they haven't become a better parent as opposed to a worse parent through their mental difficulties. So, yeah, if you're going through it right now and feeling that you're failing, you're not. And actually, there will come a time when you come out the other end and you will, you will recover. Then you will find a time when you can look back and actually see that it's it's made you better. It's made your children aware that, you know, life isn't all ups. It's a mixture of ups and downs and it's about navigating those challenges and and talking about your feelings. And that's that's a that's a, a big one for me as well. I, I was very um, I think most men and I may be generalizing here, most men aren't attached enough to their they don't have high levels of, of EQ, they don't talk about how they feel a lot of the time. And, and the difference it's made in my relationship with my wife is huge um, because she loves to talk um, and, and I didn't so much. I would always be kind of clammed up. And now we talk, we sit on the sofa and we just talk for hours about just anything and everything so it's it's deepened our relationship as well which is it's uh, amazing that's wonderful to hear because especially when you're new parents if you're lucky enough to have a partner it can put a huge strain on the relationship and especially when you're like ships that pass in the night and you know navigating those early months of like sleep. no sleep. sleep and I remember going to bed about eight o'clock <laughs> and, and you know you just <laughs> you get you get to, you get to this I remember I distinctly remember us almost arguing about who would be going to bed first <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, no, <laughs> I mean literally believe it or not Nick yeah. I used to be quite rock and roll I used to be in an all-girl rock band I'd go out all the time to like four in the morning and stuff and then suddenly I was going to bed at eight and my husband was coming home because he's an editor. He'd come home from work about half seven. So we'd all, oh, we'd have about half an hour together. And yeah, it was rubbish. And, you know, at points I, I had like an oversupply breastfeeding issue. So I had to put like cabbage leaves in my, <laughs> in my bra to control the milk supply. And sorry, TMI. <laughs> I'll need to put a trigger warning about that. But he he would like have to, you know, he would help by like washing the leaves and like hitting them with because they're like really tough. You have to hit them with a a rolling pin. And so that was our interaction, you know, half an hour and him preparing my cabbage. I I I don't know what um what what was going through her mind as well in terms of the the age gaps my eldest daughter is she's 10 and my son's two it'll be three oh that's in, um, that's quite a gap then. yeah <laughs> it's just like so like, oh, we've just we've just sort of that you know we've got that we've ticked the kid box and everything's fine and dandy and she's sleeping for and the difference as well like i was saying between them the two like when she was born um she lulled us into full sense of security she'd go down at seven wake up at seven I'd be wow. like 12 hours sleep we'd be like we'd be like this is that never happens like, what i know it's like well like, this parents are like what, what are people going on about like this is easy this is this is a dollar and then and then he came along <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like up every every hour on the dot oh, um uh, and just yeah the, the difference um in them both and it's like you know we've kind of we've got we've got this sort of that will just add a bit more chaos into the mix which is <laughs> but um yeah touch wood touch wood is he's he's finally signed to uh, to sleep now and it, the, so you're coming out of it a bit yeah the, the repercussions for um i think that's the biggest thing um that affects and people don't um they underestimate that the biggest thing that affects how your day goes is, is lack of sleep oh my god um, yes it, yeah getting a, a decent night's sleep is is works wonders for for your um your cognitive bias everything you just feel happier and that's the biggest thing i think that ends up kind of um ruining your day um is the is the lack of sleep so yeah and if any new parents are listening to this podcast and going through the unrelenting hell of no sleep we're here just to say it does get better it does it it does get better you will (laughs) I, I know what it's like when you have a newborn or even in the first year of their life you feel like you're never going to have evenings back or your life back you know where you sit down with your partner if you're lucky enough to have a partner watch the tv or you know have a drink whatever it isn't forever even though it may feel like it at the time and the, the best uh I, i'm not one for, for giving out advice but but get it where you can if you if you need to have a snooze you know if the, if the kids are sleeping and you're at home looking after them then have a sleep as well um 
you know, just just get some shut eyes so that you're you're uh, you're a compass for for the rest of the day. So yeah, it has a big big effect. Yes, and for anybody who is struggling with sleeping, because I had terrible insomnia when when Stanley was little, um, sometimes the pressure to sleep yeah. is also all consuming. So even just closing your eyes and resting can have a positive yeah. impact. And if you have the time and the inclination, there is a, a love and kindness 15 minute meditation. So if you're really struggling to relax or to sleep, um, please listen to that special bonus episode. And I hope it's helpful and making you feel a bit sort of soothed and well, that's calmer. I- I- interesting you say calm because that's um, that's one of my um, I'm a big advocate of the calm app. I use that every morning. But it's, it's weird, isn't it? How how that, that that shift in um, like you were saying about COVID, how people are more focused on their EQ and, and a company like Calm can become as large as it has because people there's a need for people to to um, be self reflective yeah. and practice gratitude and meditate and just look inwards a bit more and, and not be. I think that's what happens is we're we're so distracted on a day to day basis by all this all this these lights and noise and shiny things and it's like if you take all that stuff away it forces you to focus on you and that's that's the important part if you focus on you you start to view the world slightly differently than you before yeah yeah and if you've never meditated before there is no right and wrong it's literally listen to it for 15 minutes you don't even have to be lying down and if you fall asleep fine great you know that's brilliant if you fall asleep or if your mind wanders that's completely normal they're a bit like sort of passing clouds that you just let them drift through um so yeah please give it a try and let us know how you get on but um back to you and taking your daughter home how were the first few days for you um yeah, like I said, I think um, I think I cried for about three days straight. I remember the first night distinctly because they had to keep my wife in uh, just, just for um, kind of routine checkup so I couldn't be with them that uh, first evening. I think I probably got about three hours sleep because I was just I was just awake in bed just crying, literally just crying. It hurt me to be away from them both, yeah. It was uh, just just incredible. But then I started to notice kind of changes in my uh, behaviour. Like I'd, I'd be very I'd be very conscious of the way other adults were with her and were around her. And that's when I started to kind of get a bit of insight into. Like I said, it had kind of opened the floodgates a little bit on my trauma. It's almost like someone whacked me over the head with a brick. I think if it had been more subtle and sort of creeped up on me, I probably wouldn't have, have paid much attention to it. But because it was such a a big thing um at the time it forced me to go hold on a minute there's something you you know um there's a great book body keeps a score or where your your brain uh tries to trick you or, or tries to, to close that stuff off but your body um, remembers and, and it's a, a, a book that's well worth reading but um yeah it forced me to kind of go down that path and start to address the reason why i was was feeling like this you know kind of getting angry with people for no reason if they if they kind of touched her or went near her and it kind of forced me to be especially with her really overprotective and i was like well, i was like is, is this normal for a father to, to kind of feel like this and it just yeah it kind of forced me to, to kind of look in a bit more to address why why i was feeling the way i was feeling were you with obviously without going into detail and we can skip this if if you don't feel comfortable but had you been aware of the trauma in the past or had you managed to repress it so much that it wasn't part of who you saw yourself yeah i think i think i'd managed to repress it so much um that it yeah it was like it was not even not even so much as a memory it was just it was just some kind of dark part of me i guess i'd always sort of seen it as as kind of my my kind of yeah a sort of dark part of me i guess and and things like um no kind of getting and that that's what i find fascinating about this as a, as a man as well like um you know things like we're told as men not to get angry and i always saw that um i always saw getting angry as, as kind of a, an instance of me kind of losing control and, and, and sort of going into that you know obviously not understanding where the anger was was coming from but but as men i think we should celebrate it's it's something as men that, that we don't we can tap into that anger and we can use it as a positive form of energy 
there's so much negative connotation attached to anger, I think, as, as men, which kind of makes me angry, <laughs> ironically. Um, um, the, the, yeah, I think I was, I always, I always saw myself as, um, and I did, I did a post about it a little while ago. It was a, a picture of my son on my shoulders, uh, uh, kind of holding his uh, arms out, and I took a picture of him sat on my shoulders, and I was like, "This is how I feel." Um, because it's the little boy is kind of trapped inside me and um i'm trying to articulate this the best way i can and i always saw that uh you know the trauma the things that happened to me as kind of a dark part of me but but they're not they're they're all me it's it's you know our, our darkness and our light is what makes us whole or what makes us who we are so you have to kind of um, accept it and uh, appreciate it as well and do you think your outburst of emotion when when your children were born? Do you think, in a way, you were grieving the loss of your childhood? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. It's uh, <laughs> I am still now. I'm uh, I'm just like a giant man child. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with them, with uh, playing with the kids and and kind of reliving my childhood through that which um i guess is there's there's pluses and minuses uh, to that but yeah i definitely uh, to a point kind of trying to sort of relive those those experiences so but, but i also realize that i'm a i'm, I'm a grown-up and i have you know responsibility and all the rest of it so <laughs> but do you know what the play is something so intrinsic to human beings yeah, and yeah. you know even children don't get as many opportunities to play and to be free yeah. as that's, as they that's how they get to, to that's how they get to uh, to kind of prod and poke at the world and experience where boundaries are and and experience Absolutely. how relationships are formed and, and uh, all the rest of it. I'm, I'm listening to um, to Jordan Peterson's uh, Twelve Rules for Life at the moment, and it's uh, it's uh, an amazing book. Listen to it on, on the audiobook, and there's a I think it's chapter seven, about seven minutes in on the audiobook. He talks about an experience where he had this. Um, was, I think it was a two year old boy that that his uh, his mother wouldn't neglect him and he wouldn't eat and she wouldn't feed him. And um, he was talking about his uh, his wife took the boy in and then she kind of sat with him there for ten minutes trying to get him to feed himself. And then she congratulated him and every mouthful was like, well, you know, well done, you do, you do really, really well. And then he explains that, that whole day afterwards, he kind of just followed her around like a puppy, just sort of sat with her. And, and it, was, yeah, it was, yeah, really kind of beautiful moment in the book. I think it's, it's always good to see uh, other men crying, I think. <laughs> Like I said, I had over 110 DMs the day I posted that video. I had a guy uh, reach out to me, a complete stranger who'd been through exactly the same thing I had and, and uh, just phoned me out of the blue and, and we ended up having a conversation. I was crying on the phone and he was crying on the phone. That's the power of, of social media to, to allow you to tell your story at scale so that so that you can help other people. It's amazing that we live in a world where we can share stories openly and, and allow other people to kind of, you know, realise that we're not as different as we think we are. And it clearly resonated hugely. And the thing is, the more we talk about yeah. these things, the better it is for everybody. Because, I mean, that's why I did this podcast, to normalise yeah. the conversation, to get rid of the stigma of perinatal illness. There's so much stigma attached to them. And that's part of the power that um, abusers tap into. They know that there's so much stigma around trauma and they know most of the time that the people that they abuse won't talk about it. And that's where they have the power. So yeah, to, to kind of own that and take that power back is, is hugely important. And it goes back to, you know, as you say, it's about owning your story and making it yeah. yours and validating the the little yeah. boy that went through that absolutely it's, it's very interesting you talking about the male perspective because one thing that I've really learned on this journey doing this podcast is the amount of fathers affected by the birth of their children you know for one reason or another I think the current rate is one in 10 fathers are affected by postnatal depression and that is just the ones that come forward and actually talk about it do you think as 
a culture, we put or impose an idea of what being a man is, what masculinity yeah, is. Absolutely. And there's, there's, um, there needs to be spaces for men to experience and be around other men. And that's part of a charity that, that I've um, come into contact with. When my daughter was born, um, I kind of, it's weird, isn't it, how your, your brain does these things. But at that point, I wanted to join the charity and there was a part of me that, that wanted to do it and I wasn't ready. And it wasn't until my son was born seven years later that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready now to, to do this. I'm going to do it for her and I'm going to do it for him and I'm going to do it for me and, and my wife as well. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful charity. It's called Band of Brothers. And it's, uh, it's older men mentoring younger men that have, you know, some of these some of the stories the, these young men you know, the, the things that have happened to them are just astronomical just the most awful things but having a, an older man uh, a mentor in place that, that can say you know I've been through what you've been through and, and, uh, and I'm still here and I'm, and I'm better for it just sort of guide them I mean a lot, a lot of these young men have kind of been through the prison system and just there's a I think especially with men, because they don't talk about this stuff, they tend to, there's a, uh, I can't, and I can't remember the exact line, but there's something like, um, it's on the Band of Brothers website, a young man will burn down an entire village just to feel warmth. You know, so many young men just kind of lash out with anger, there's that word again, and they need guidance and they need to be shown that there's right ways of doing things and there's, there's wrong ways of doing things. And it's it's just a, a great community and a great space for for men to just, sit and I like you know I, I sit in circles with these men and they're they're complete strangers and I feel comfortable and safe with them and, and I, I trust them with my life they're they're amazing amazing men I'll make sure I put a link to their website in yeah, the show cool. notes because I think they sound like an incredible yeah. organization and also just for any dads who are affected by this episode there are other resources so there's music football fatherhood run by Elliot Ray again there's a link in the show notes and also fathers reaching out which is organized by Mark Williams who's been an absolute pioneer with regards to talking out about the the male parental yeah. experience I think this mentorship is so important because as a society in the old days you, you had sort of families like wider families growing up together and staying in the same neighborhood so perhaps you would have a bit more of a, a father figure or an older male relative who you, you know if, if you were lucky opened up with you and encouraged yeah. conversation and gave you that guidance but today's society is so fragmented we don't have those ready support networks well this is something that um and i said this because we use um we use kind of a system i guess um we take kind of union archetypes so with the band of brothers there's what we would call the lover the warrior and the magician and they're governed by the sovereign so your lover is your kind of um, emotional energy or, or sexual relationships the warrior is your anger and it's your doing energy and the magician is your uh, your brain basically your, your thoughts and the sovereign governs those three aspects of your, your personality you know some men can be too much warrior some men can be too much magician they overthink things it's having those all in balance the book that we use which kind of goes through these concepts is a book called um percival and the stone from heaven it's a really old text i think it's over a thousand years old um and i sometimes i look at that text and, and, it, and it's been translated from an earlier story i kind of look at that book and i think to myself did we did we always know this stuff it was it always you know kind of in, inherent in um in in cultures and traditions over time and we've we've lost it we've yeah. lost the concept of it um because we don't, you know, we don't listen to our elders. We don't, having having elders in place, and, and that's, you know, one of the, the aspects of, of what we do when we circle up is there is an elder there. There's an older man which kind of helps lead the circle and imparts knowledge and wisdom. But we don't have that in society. You know, how often do we kind of see our, our grandparents or older people just hang out with them and have conversations with them? We don't. It's just, it's, uh, it's you're right. Society it's, it's, has become more and more um fragmented as a, as a result so it's a very I guess because it's a 
a male thing is a, a very sort of strong sense of um, kind of tribalism to it and and it's kind of what appealed to me is that we're there's something so inherent in our makeup and our dna as a species to accept stories and help you know have stories in place to help us kind of understand how to to um traverse a path and that's kind of what we do with that story and that's what massively appealed to me because that's a large component of uh, who, who i am it's weird how you're how all these things kind of when you kind of stop and step back and look at them how all those things kind of click into place but when you're inside it you just can't see the wood for the trees i guess yeah yeah and so were they helpful to you in terms of your recovery mm. or had you recovered yeah. sufficiently so so i did um i had what's called emdr um, therapy which which kind of helps with the trauma in, in terms of kind of processing it so i'd had that um just before that to do with eye eye movement yes yeah, so, so they so um uh yes it simulates rem i guess which is rapid eye movement which is what happens when you sleep so um that's what happens with the trauma is the memory kind of gets stuck and it doesn't get processed properly so what they do is they get you to go back through the trauma again and they get you to i think originally it used to be kind of following the finger but now i think they get you to kind of tap on each shoulder just to process you know to get the left and right brain kind of working and to actually process the trauma so it becomes just a memory rather than a stuck thing because when you experience anything kind of um, really kind of stressful it's like flicking a switch and it just brings that trauma back yeah it kind of processes the uh, the memory uh yes i'd had therapy and i'd had sessions before i joined them but it's helped me massively in terms of it's given you know it's, it's a large part of my why and my purpose really I've teased the, the kind of, uh, and, and that's what we do is, is, you know, is a classic hero's journey. It's like, you know, the, the hero kind of starts and then they find out who they are and then they become the hero. And I, I feel, I feel like I've gone, gone through that and now I can help other younger men to do the same thing. And I think it's a wonderful thing, you know, taking something that was so hugely negative, such a dark experience, one that's caused profound change, you know, as part of your healing journey and to be able to use yeah. that experience to guide other men, I think it's an incredible thing. And I'm starting to go now. <laughs> do, do you ever find resistance in some of the men that you speak to, especially if they've been oh, very angry? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a large part of, of what we do, kind of helping, you know, initiate um, younger men. We go through a lot through the... Um, police system so the men that have kind of come out of parole and gone through the prison system and, and there's so much pushback from them initially because you know we, we've got a, a quest weekend coming up which is in april which is where the younger men kind of start on this journey and some of them they turn up and, and they just leave because it's like the kind of unknown it's like why am i here i don't want to do this this stuff but you, the change in them when they've been through this stuff is just it's almost like magic it's a it's amazing to see you know a lot of what you're saying resonates so heavily with me about what you were saying about the channeling of that anger and actually if you channel that anger directly it can be incredible for like drive and achieving things and ambition yeah i, I remember um, one, one of my favorite authors who passed away a few years ago terry bratchett he was a very angry writer but when you look at his i mean you can kind of see it in a lot of his prose but yeah he used his anger in a, in a really positive way it's natural sometimes for anyone to feel angry but it's good to take that anger because there's, there's so much energy in it and getting used to channeling in the right way is it's very powerful yeah and the, the other thing that really resonated with me was you talking about how distress for a lot of men and you know it seems very common to the experience of children that you know disruptive behavior is a way that they try and cope with those difficult emotions and that actually if you have a child who is being very naughty or going off the rails it's often because they're a damaged child or that they're going through yeah. a problem that that they can't comprehend or have tools to express they're, they're, what's they're going trying on. they're trying yeah they're trying to go pay attention to me i need help here and, and that's what really again angers me there's that word again about society is that 
we see people like this and we see young men like this as a hindrance or a thing that we need to kind of brush away and put to one side. And, and you look at anyone that's been, you know, has kind of substance abuse or there's usually at the core of that a reason for why that person's like that. Um, and I think if we could, as a, as a society, more of us could look into that and kind of, and, that, and that's what Band of Brothers is trying to do, treat the root cause of that problem, not, not stick a Band-Aid on it and say, this is, you know, on your way off you go and try and actually get to the core of, of the fundamental reason that person is like that and, and try and um, re- repair that that damage it's uh, it's hugely important yeah i remember mark williams saying in one of the previous episodes about how he went through extreme alcohol abuse and how that that is quite common in the fathers that he speaks to that it's a way of trying to again repress those feelings and also it's the way our culture is you know go down the pub and have a drink and forget it um but the more I explore these things the more I actually um I had a very very difficult relationship with my father he was uh an absolute bully he was a tyrant and very emotionally like you weren't allowed or, or you were belittled for showing any emotion he was very cold in that way and yeah without a doubt he screwed me up good and proper do you ever do you ever stop and think why he was like that well it's it's funny so he passed away six years ago now and both myself my brother and my mum were all treated as complete failures and like an albatross around his neck Mm. and I had such grief and anger when he passed away and this guy terrified me for years you know right throughout adulthood he terrified me Uh, he was very emotionally abusive but now I'm able to sort of look with empathy and I think he was very damaged I think he was hugely damaged and that the way he was was his way of coping and that actually Mm. if he'd had help or you know I remember seeing a therapist when I was in my 20s And she said to me, look, I don't think you need the counselling. I think your dad does. So I think, yeah, it's been a very difficult journey for me to look at him with compassion. But actually, it's very healing to be able to do so without a doubt. Yeah, so um, Jordan Peterson mentions that a lot of uh, people that go through trauma or, or abuse that, you know, it's kind of testament to the human condition and the goodness in people that we break those cycles. It's important. Um, yeah, I think you do come to a point where you kind of do kind of reach a, a place of um, empathy. But again, like I said, a lot of what we do with the uh, Band of Brothers is, is to, it's, it's very... You know, we're told, oh, you know, you shouldn't express anger and it's wrong to express anger. We we get the young men to express that anger, um, to, to get them to focus that anger on, on the people that cause the things that happen to them. And that's an important part of the healing process for them. So it's, like it's OK to feel angry about this. It's normal and uh, natural to, to feel angry about this stuff. So you can kind of, yeah, just just heal. And let it out. Yeah. Your relationship must have changed greatly with your wife then, because from the man she married to the man who then became a father, it sounds like there's been a huge shift in you. And that must have been quite something yeah. for her to experience I, as well. I haven't, I haven't this interesting that you, you just mentioned that actually, because I haven't thought about that in terms of, um, yeah, whether she saw that in me initially when we first uh, you know we're sort of courting and stuff I don't I don't know uh, but yeah you're right that the, the man that she kind of knew and fell in love with is very different to the man that she's married to now but you know from a, a personal standpoint that man is uh has grown and has a um higher um, EQ than he did and he's the man he needs to be at, at the moment in time for his kids so yeah and a bloody good dad because of that and I think it's so important that especially in a world with, you know, such incredible uncertainty, as we're talking, there's horrendous things going on in Ukraine um, and, you know, with the pandemic and everything. It is so important that leaders become much more emotionally intelligent. You know, we're not really going to understand the repercussions of these uncertain times that we live in for a, a long time. And 
I grew up feeling that being sensitive was a weakness and a failing, but actually it's my superpower now, you know, and that took yeah. a long time for me to come round to thinking like that. The, the, the thing that you think is actually your biggest flaw, your biggest weakness a lot of the time is, is your biggest strength is, is understanding yeah. and seeing that um, for, for what it is. And that that's, it's having the insight to recognise that um, and realise it again, getting yourself to see that is extremely difficult sometimes. Yeah. And, and being an empathetic, compassionate person, you know, can be exhausting. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's bad enough watching a Disney movie, you know, my God, yeah. <laughs> emotions go through with that. <laughs> but I do think, yeah, you know, it's not a flaw to be human. This is what makes us who we are. And I, I love yeah. your analogy to stories and why stories are so important to you. And I think the fact that you sort of sit down and play with your children is wonderful because, again, another Mark Williams statistic that he brings in that actually in the first thousand and one days of, of children's formative years, I think that's the first three years, there is a huge impact that is made on them from fathers playing with their children reading to their children sitting yeah. singing with the children dancing with them and if you have a father that is cut off in that way you know who may be yeah. going through difficulties of their own that there is a direct impact on on your well, child it's, it's, it's almost a form of um, a form of emotional abuse as well sometimes you can't see it if, if you're if there's so much trauma there that you're distancing yourself from your family because of it the cycle continues because you're you're it's a, a form of emotional abuse that the child isn't getting the affection, the love, and the attention that they need from you to, to shape um, who they need to be in the world. So if you yeah if you can't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of them, and you're only going to repeat that cycle again, um, kind of knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah, yeah, and so the first part of getting help is, you know, and it's it's really hard to come forward and say I need help I need support I'm not okay but the sooner yeah. you do that the sooner you will get help you will recover because you will recover you know everybody does get through this and depression and anxiety are, are horrible illnesses but you can recover from them it's that first step on that path to becoming um, yeah becoming a hero <laughs> yeah that's the hardest that, that, that first initial step once you do that the road's long but but the steps get easier so. yeah yeah and it's there's a lot of ups and downs you know there's no quick fix it isn't like a linear curve nope. that just goes upwards all the way there's you know nope. two steps forward <laughs> one step back that old cliche but yeah. the recovery doesn't just help you it helps everybody Everyone you have around a, yeah, yeah it helps the whole family and that's not to make you feel guilty for the impact you may or may not be having on your child now because if your child is fed and sheltered that is incredible you know and if yep. you don't feel a bond right now with your child that is okay that happens but you can get that bond you know you just yep. need some support and it will happen over time so don't feel guilty because you didn't ask for this you know you did not ask for this illness and there is light at the end of the tunnel and Nick and I are here to sort of prove that so yeah. Nick what what are your hopes for your your son especially going forward in terms of you know what it means to be a man in the modern world um Sorry, that's think, a really big um, question isn't it it, it, it is yeah. <laughs> staggeringly huge um I, I think just uh just just giving him that emotional resilience you know, showing that men can cry, that they can feel emotions, that they can be um, loving, having all those those parts of his psyche um, in balance. Um, I'm going through my, my mentoring cycle now with the Band of Brothers, so I'll be taking on a mentee after um, April. So, you know, going through those things is going to help me become a, a better father and, and hopefully help me be able to effectively mentor my son as well so I, I think like most parents I want him to be happy and, and healthy and resilient and just know his mind which he already does at three years old I think he's almost <laughs> got got me and me and my wife wrapped around his little fingers oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like the, the, the conversations we have with them because he's, he's just starting to to kind of talk now like his vocabulary is getting bigger but 
the other day it's like i'm going to make him a juice and it's like no no i want this particular flavor juice in this particular cup it's like <laughs> but yeah he already knows his own mind definitely um, nearly three years old so. uh, they, they do <laughs> uh, yeah like, like most parents just just they're resilient um, and then they're happy and then they're healthy and they understand who they are that's that's i think what most parents yeah that's all we can hope for with our children you know that we can't take away life's challenges but we can help them meet those challenges with resilience and with an aptitude to know where to to go for help and support and to be able to talk about how they're feeling and for anybody that might be listening to this who have very sadly experienced the trauma of abuse themselves but may have never talked about that experience is there any advice that you could offer them i guess probably the biggest one for me is um make sure that when you do kind of finally talk to someone speak to someone that you have a strong relationship with that can be kind of confidential about this stuff like a partner for example uh, and that will kind of help and support you because it's not you know Although you're doing most of the work, you don't do this journey alone. Other people are gonna gonna help you on the journey. So that first initial step, make sure that you choose the right person to kind of express that you've kind of been through this thing, or, or that you're experiencing this difficulty in the first instance. And and somebody who you know will not be judgmental. Yeah. About that information, yeah. because I think when you're opening up about any mental illness but I can imagine it's much more pronounced when you've been through something so traumatic as as you have that you feel very vulnerable and you worry about how you're going to be perceived once that secret is out but actually I've found in speaking about my postnatal depression that actually people are much more understanding and often say me too but I was too afraid to talk about it too afraid to say it yeah 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 it, it does require a certain amount of bravery, I think, to, to kind of just, just admit it to yourself and to just say to the world, this is, you know, we're, we're conditioned in Western society to kind of accept social norms and it's like, oh, we don't talk about this. And the, the shift that I've seen probably over the last five years in the conversation around the stigma of mental health. Like I, when I was younger, I came out of university and I worked as a, a mental health nursing assistant. Oh, wow. Years. Yeah. So that, you know, again, there may have been a part of my subconscious that thought, well, I need to, I need to do this. Like you can't always trace the dots looking forward, but if you stop and look back at it, so probably a part of me was like, there's a reason I did that, just like there's a reason why I've joined um, a band of brothers at this particular point in my life. So a part of my subconscious was obviously going, you know, you need to <laughs> you need to be around people that are, that are like you and try and look after people that are uh, like you because there's, there's, um, there's a lot of us out there. Yeah, yeah. And you've been incredibly brave and uh, so honest and it's just been a joy to to speak to you today. You know, very heavy subject matter, but you're still, you know, one inspiring dad. And uh, I can imagine that, you know, you are the world to your family. So thank you for sharing your story with us and and for spending (laughs) your time with us this morning. I've got plenty of toilet rolls. I know. <laughs> it's like I should have a competition for regular listeners as to you know guess how many guess, how many, how many, how many minutes how many rolls did you get yeah, to yeah yeah <laughs> how many minutes before I started loving uh, yeah if you've enjoyed this episode of Blue Mum Days please like and subscribe it really does make the difference in helping other people find it and that means helping more parents. Thank you.